gentlemen, welcome back to the Overlap. My name is Elise Techley. I'm joined by Rian, and we got a fun agenda coming up for you guys today. Rian, how you doing, man? We got we got a lot to talk about. I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm I'm just chilling here, in my house. Um, yeah, pretty relaxed. Uh, you know, just took a took a nap a couple hours ago. Feeling really refreshed right now. Yeah, this uh, is the kind of research we do for the pod. Man. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I got to be fresh for these episodes. I need I need a few hours of sleep so I can be ready to battle you here. Yeah, that's so true because I have uh, a lot to contribute on this uh, upcoming pod with two very strong Premier League teams that I feel absolutely no loyalty about. So we're always here to to talk some fun and uh, get into it. I, on the other hand, have had just a really busy week with work and stuff, but at least it's keeping me busy. Um, I'm happy with that, so I can't complain, right? Um, Quite a this, warrior. Yeah, I would not. I would not phrase it as warrior. I am not. I'm not working in finance, so I'm. I'm doing just fine. Um, but yeah, no, work is always good as long as it keeps me busy, keeps me on my toes. Um, it's what you need. But it's always nice to catch up and. And look at some some soccer news when we get the chance, or rather football news. So, you ready to get started? Yes, I am. All right, let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking about the North London Derby coming up this weekend. Tottenham Hotspurs at the Emirates against Arsenal. So, let's start off with Tottenham, Rian. Um, they, they're coming off a, a loss against Newcastle. Granted, Arsenal are coming off a loss as well, but... There are levels between Newcastle and Liverpool. So what are your thoughts on Tottenham going into this game? Uh, so, you know, New- Newcastle was obviously a really a really disappointing result for them. Um, we saw Ndombele injured. Eriksen started on the bench once again. And uh, Vertonghen didn't play a minute in this game. So Vertonghen hasn't played at all in the first three weeks, <laughs> which is um, – we still haven't really – He's on his way up. I mean, possible. I mean, we haven't heard anything definitive about what the situation is between him and Pochettino. Uh, so I, I, I would be really – it's going to be really interesting the last couple of days here before the end of the European transfer window to see if he's still going to be on the team by Sunday. Um but, you know, once again, we saw Tottenham start really poorly um, in the first half. You know, they started pretty, they started very poorly against Aston Villa. You know, they gave up a goal to Aston Villa early in the first game of the season and then and, uh, went into half 1-0 down. And then again, um, last week against City, they went into half uh, 2-1 down. And then, or yeah, no, 2-1 down. And then we saw this week, Another early goal from from um, the opponent as Newcastle scored in about the 26th minute. Uh, new signing Joe Ellington from Newcastle gets his first goal, but they start poorly again. You know, this game they have one shot within the penalty box in the entire first half. So, so wow. yeah, not ideal, not an ideal situation whatsoever there. Um, but it's it's interesting to note. Um, I know, obviously, you being the stats guy. What were the what were the expected goals for for this game? So Tottenham was at one point two six and Newcastle zero at zero point five one overall. Uh, you know they they were very wasteful in their in the second half, especially like they had got they had gotten to pretty good positions, but we saw uh, Lucas a couple times 
right in front of goal, like very, very good chances. And he just completely missed the net. Saw uh, Kane whiff on one as well. There's, you know, they, they were very wasteful in this game. So the chances they were creating were good in the second half. Um, but once again, you know, when Erickson comes on the pitch, everything changes for them. So, you know, we still have the same problems of uh, no Erickson and there's just so little creativity in the team. Uh, yeah, it was a good game for my um, Ewing theory with with uh, Harry Kane for oh sure. My God. You know, it, it, oh it's, my God. You know, we're, we're three weeks in. They've got four points, which is not bad at all. Not, not, well, not great, but not bad. And, you know, the one game he scores was against Aston Villa. So, you know, it's, it's just a, it's something to think about, but <laughs> in a more serious note, like the, there's a lot of turmoil around this team. You know, um, wh- what do we think the atmosphere is like at Tottenham at the moment? You've got Ericsson, in a weird kind of limbo situation where they're not sure if he's going to stay or go, but he wants to go. And, you know, that's pretty unstable there. And then, you know, same thing with Vertonghen. I don't know. How, how much do we think that this is affecting the play on the pitch? That's honestly a good question. I think it's affecting them somewhat. I actually think the Vertonghen thing is more curious to me now. We obviously know that Erickson wants to leave. We know that he his heart is not necessarily set on staying at Spurs. Granted, I do think he will end up staying at Spurs this season. Um, there's only, what, five days left now in the transfer window for the other European clubs. So it doesn't look likely that, honestly, either of those two would leave. But it has to bother the team somewhat or the mentality. And even Pochettino, when two players that are very, very strong leaders in this team, and I, I can't even stress enough the importance of having leaders in a side, regardless of who it is. Like Spurs are one of the biggest teams in England, and it's even more important to them that they have people grounded that are leaders and voices in that locker room. Um, and when you have two of them swaying on their futures, I do think that that affects the play, whether it's subconscious or not. I think it's something to be aware of. So I, I don't want to make it sound like an excuse for Spurs, but I do think that is something to, to definitely you know keep in mind. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we saw um, after the game, Pochettino says, um, he says, he thinks this is six. He says, I think this is my sixth season, and it's the most unsettled group we are working with. You know, and and it's not great when the manager is coming out and saying that. I, I do have a little bit of a problem with you know voicing your discomfort like that. It, it doesn't help the team in terms of. It doesn't look no, good. not at all. It's it's a very you know I it's a very Mourinho esque thing to do. You know, it's, it's, it's a very like last, like final season Mourinho esque thing to do. And, and, you know, it hurts team chemistry, I think. Um, and it just generally is I, it, like, it is an unsettled group, but that those comments don't come out and help anything. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on it. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, say there's a, like an instance where another manager said this is the most unsettled okay here's a good example take united right if ole came out tomorrow and said i'm very like you know i'm unsettled and this is the most one of the most unsettled times or periods that i feel like i went through as a manager people would be would be going nuts right like uh, like along with the fact that pogba likely wants to leave next season 
it would kind of raise a lot of red flags. So I, I'm trying to think of just a situation where anyone else would say something along those lines and none come to mind immediately. And I'm, but I'm sure there have been some. Um, so I'm just, I'm concerned as to why Pochettino said that it must, it must've really been heartfelt almost for him to say, yeah, I feel very unsettled in the squad that I have not from a player's, um, you know, ability standpoint, but a player's commitment. And that's almost equally as important as someone's ability. Yeah. I mean, we saw throughout the summer, he was putting out little, I guess, um, alarms to the board there, you know, saying that, that he thinks the team needs to freshen up. Um, you know, so this is just a continuation from what he was saying in the summer. You know, he was worried about where this team is going forward, you know, when, especially, when they weren't really making that many, they weren't really like putting out a lot of money to make the signings. They got Ndombele very early, and then Lacelso comes the last two days before the transfer window, and I'm sure he would have loved to have that player two or three weeks before that, and you know, to give him a chance to start the season with the team, right? Um, right. So I think this is more of a continuation from the summer and looking ahead, not not just in this game, but you know, for the next. You know, six or seven months, it's going to be something to look at because you know, I think a lot of people do believe this might be his last season. And with what he's been saying the last couple of months, he's not doing anything to quell those fears, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I fully agree. I think ultimately a part of this does land on Pochettino. And I know it's a hard dif- and difficult situation to manage. But at the end of the day, that's what he's getting paid to do. He's getting paid to manage a squad full of very quality players and at the same time helping them to perform well on the pitch. And one of those jobs he's struggling at right now, and while I highly rate Pochettino, I don't want to take any way, anything against him, I think this is something that he needs to focus on going into this weekend because this is going to be a difficult game regardless of the result that Arsenal picked up um, or did not pick up at Anfield this weekend. So I'm I'm very interested to see what Pochettino does in terms of preparing the squad, both from a mental or you know mentality point of view and from a physical slash sporting point of view. Yeah, I agree. I uh, just want to give a, a little shout out to uh, to Newcastle. It's a really very very impressive result for this team, and you know yeah. my feelings on this team in general. Um, <laughs> Yeah, very impressive result for sure. Um, and and Joe Ellington looks solid for Newcastle, even outside of his goal. So, you know, there's there's a positive result for them. Um, we'll see how they take it going forward. But you know, again, very disappointing for Tottenham. Um, and you know what? You know, what I'm thinking about Newcastle now. What? Well, since Wolves have just not been living up to our sixth place standard that we have for them, oh no! I'm thinking, I'm thinking Newcastle could be the new Wolves. <laughs> it's, it's written in the stars. All right, let's let's not get carried away. It's <laughs> all here. All right, let's not get too carried away. All right, we'll wait through till uh, the Christmas break to make that uh, decision. But as uh, Negro Domus himself once said, put all your money on Newcastle. Oh. You heard it here first. <laughs> okay. All right, that's enough out of you. All right. <laughs> so we, let's let's look to the other side of North London here. Yeah, yeah, let's take a look at uh, at Arsenal. Um, we talked a little bit about this in the most recent pod about their performance at Liverpool, but I think you had a... I, w- I wouldn't say a huge problem or overarching 
massive problem with their performance, but you, obviously it wasn't up to, to standard. They still had problems tactically. didn't really add up. Um, and I think you definitely had some question marks around, around yeah, the team. I, like, like I said um, in the last episode, the effort was there. You know, this was different than other Arsenal performances where, I mean, maybe some of that has to do with, you know, no Ozil in the team, you know, but I mean, you, you have to look at that, you know, Ceballos provides actual work rate, actual Everything. defensive work rate, really. <laughs> right? um, but, you know, the, the problem wasn't exactly with um, how the players played, right? Uh, I think it was more the tactics were the most confusing part of that entire game for me. You know, I can definitely, I'll start off. I can definitely understand what the thought process is with, you know, playing those four, the diamond and trying to clog the midfield. Because generally, crosses are not an inf- not a very efficient way of, of uh, gaining assists, right? So you, know, you can, with most teams, you can, yeah, that's and that's where I'm going. You know, with most teams, you can get away with giving uh, the fullbacks um, a little more time on the ball, giving them some more touches, and and just um, closing out late to them. You know that you can you can you could be okay with that because you know you're more afraid of what goes through the middle of you, right? But you know, I the overarching thing is that why give the opponents their primary creators, which and, and we've talked about this, their primary creators are their fullbacks. Um, Especially Alexander Arnold, you know, there's there's a great um, piece in the Athletic by in the Athletic by uh, Michael Cox, who, who basically focuses on more tactical side of the game, and talked about how you know Trent Alexander Arnold is really revolutionizing that right back position. You know, um, yeah, great article yeah, by the way. Yeah, Thank of you course. for that um, over. But you know his his strengths, the thing that make him so different is that he's not just playing crosses. He's not just floating crosses into the box. Um, he's Doing it, one, he's great with his left foot, which is not a quality that <laughs> I'd say what at least eighty percent of of uh, right backs in the world are are very good with their are, are not very good with their um, left foot, right? Uh, but he's very good with his left foot. He was he was uh, transitioned from a central midfielder in his teenage years. Well teenage years he's only 20 so like but but right right that's um, nuts but like yeah. when he was younger he was he was a central midfielder and so he moved out to right back so he's very good with his weak foot uh, so um, so-called weak foot but he also plays passes zips passes into the strikers and into the uh well yeah into the strikers really into Mane and Sala and Firmino and that's what we saw especially with the uh second goal with yeah the second goal the the one that leads to the penalty Right, he zips a ball into uh, Firmino, who plays the ball, the uh, little through ball into Salah, and leads to the penalty. Right, but that—that's it. I don't understand giving your opponents, their primary creators, the most space on the pitch. Right, um, I, I definitely understand the clogging that area, though that that middle area, um, because you know you want to stop balls into the forwards, but you know Liverpool's. They're not. The players aren't stupid. They they switch the play as quick as that. They once you're once you're actually keeping the tempo up and switching the play. Those four guys in the field are doing a lot of running, and I, and I think we saw after about half an hour, those guys looked a little tired, having to run out to those um, fullbacks every time. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think one of the most impressive parts about Trent is his work rate too. I think we you kind of highlighted his tactical acumen and especially his positioning. And I think positioning is easily the most important attribute that any player can have or needs to have. But his work rate to defensively contribute is something that I think is also underrated because we we kind of talk about him as this attacking fullback that has the skill to get forward and put in assists. But at the same time, he's almost equally always there when tracking back. And we, we kind of saw that this weekend, right? We saw that when, I guess in this case, it was more of an Aubameyang on um, his side of the field, making those runs down the left-hand flank, Trent was almost always running back. And I feel as though that's sometimes an underrated part of his game. And given that he is only 20 years old, it's only going to get better. Yeah, no, totally agree. We saw that the, the chances that Arsenal did have, right, they were more on Pepe's side of the field, on Robertson's side. Um, so, right. yeah, his, his, his you know, obviously by being up so far, he's going to leave space back. But like you said, the work rate's very good, so he gets back there. I, my, my question for you, Elias, is especially after the early stages of the game where we saw so little pressure actually on the ball um, by Arsenal. I don't know if that was tiredness or if that may have been um, a tactic just to kind of sit in a little bit and make things tough for them to go through the middle. Right. That, that, I'm guessing that's probably, it was probably more tactics than tiredness, but if you're going to play this far off the ball, do you really need though? Do you really need four guys in midfield there, right? Specifically, specifically for central midfielders, but especially do you need those four guys in midfield there? I, I think Ceballos looked a little, he looked a little out of place, you know, because he's so deep and he didn't actually really get the chance to spray balls to anyone there. Right. Um, I, I don't know. What, what was your thought yeah. on maybe, on, on those four guys in the field or just or those four or four guys there in general, I guess. So I don't like a four man midfield for Arsenal. I just want to say that right now. I don't like the way that they set up in terms of allowing or not allowing forcing Ceballos to drop that deep. Ceballos isn't a defensive midfielder. He's not someone that's going to do the dirty. I mean, he will if he has to. Right. But he, he's not the dirty pickup type of player that say someone like De Jong is, for example. Ceballos is someone who provides balls. He's he's and you know provides balls into an assist or last chance. That sort of player is the creative fluidity between the midfield and the attacking line. When you limit him between or behind practically Genduzi and Jaka, then you're preventing not any sort of outlet towards Pepe or and Aubameyang. But you're limiting it, and moreover, you're taking away an attacking spot from where Lacazette's space would be. And that doesn't make sense <laughs> to me because Jaka – okay, Jaka is a good player. I, I, I do think that Jaka is a good player. I think he's best suited in a defensive midfielding midfield role when, of course, he's not allowed to tackle anybody. But he's best suited for that. And if he had a Genduzi and Ceballos in front of him, which I think could work very well, then I think you have a good connection between and a good partnership between Ceballos and Genduzi. They're both relatively creative. They both can get out of tight spaces. They know each other's position or they know their own individual positions. And with time, that will grow, grow with chemistry. 
But you also have a very capable sub in Torreira, as we saw when he came on against Liverpool. So I'm not sure where the idea of playing four in midfield came from, because if you're playing against Liverpool, you're going to have goals scored against you, right? The question is, how many goals can you score against them, which is a much more difficult task? Defending them is already hard enough, but scoring against them is even more difficult. And so I think Arsenal, where they made their biggest mistake, was trying to play into Liverpool's hand rather than playing their own game and allowing that to take over. Yeah, it was a very pragmatic, um, a very pragmatic way of going about that game, but not even, I mean, apart from being pragmatic, it was a little nearsighted, I guess would be what I want to say about, because, you know, you naturally would look at the team and say, you know, I don't want these three guys up front to touch them, to uh, have balls played into them. But I'm just trying to think, you know, I find myself in, in watching a lot of these um, games with Liverpool and Manchester City. You know, as a as a Chelsea fan, I find myself thinking a lot, actually, you know, what would Jose Mourinho do in this in this situation against his team? I mean, <laughs> why, then, do you, why do you do that? <laughs> I mean, then again, we, we did see him with the team last season. He has played against these te- two teams in the last two seasons with Manchester yeah. United. But, you know, I, you know that's not not a good Manchester United team. But I, I'm, I always I try to think, you know, what would he do? Um, with an actually good team, like what would he do with this Arsenal team um, against Liverpool? I would guess um, he would probably, well, knowing Marino, he actually probably wouldn't have played Lacazette, Aubameyang, and um, Pepe all together because, you know, he probably wouldn't be able to trust the, the on the wing in terms of uh, defending. But let's he played those three. He would tell Aubameyang and Pepe to basically just stay with Sin and, um, and uh, Alexander-Arnold. Right, because those are those are the guys who had their team's most assists last season. You know, Alexander Arnold twelve assists, and then the closest person was um, was uh, Salah with nine. Right? No, no one else in there. No one else in there. No one in their midfield had even yet. so. You know where the, where the danger is. It's it's on those two guys. Those two guys on the edges on the uh, outside. So I. I totally agree with you. The four in the midfield there, the it, it just it didn't actually deal with the most dangerous part of the other team. You know, it, it was purely obviously looking at who scores the goals, but it didn't really try to address <laughs> who is you know providing the chances really for the team. So it's 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 definitely a knock on Emery, who's who you know I think we both think he's a pretty good manager you know he's won the Europa League a couple times and and beat Klopp a few years ago with Sevilla right yeah so so you know we 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 know that he's that you know he's not a bad manager but you know I think he's got to find a way to play those three guys you know that's that's their best chance of trying to win games this season we we said this in the preview like they're not gonna be good at defending they're going to be at best average right maybe slightly above average depending on who's in the midfield right so they need to go out and try to score as many goals as possible like you don't spend 80 million pounds on pepe to have him basically <laughs> be a counterattack outlet like i get like maybe against better teams but you, you don't 
that's not why you have him. You don't have him there as like an outlet, basically. He's he's right? worth more. Yeah, exactly. I think he can do more for this team. And and I I want to give the benefit of the doubt to Unai Emery just because it's been what three four games and you. I don't want to just run the excuse of you need more time or a player needs more time to adapt, but it is a valid excuse in this case. It's important to recognize that he did just join a new team in a new league and he's not very familiar with everything going on. Um, I'm not saying he's dumb or anything. I'm just saying it takes time to adapt. Granted, he himself has said his chemistry with Lacazette has gotten better. His chemistry with the team has gotten better. So I have faith in him and I, and I obviously know that his quality excuse me, his quality from Leon was very, very, or Lille, sorry, um, was very, very high. So I don't know. I, I do have faith in him being more than just a counterattacking option, but I think that was more of a setup for that specific game rather than what we will see for the rest of the season. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think he was he was actually their brightest spot during the game. Like he was very bright whenever he picked up the ball. He he, um, yeah. he was genuinely going at Van Dyke and was not getting absolutely like dominated by him. Like he he actually was doing pretty well. And then especially on the one chance that he has to score, you know, he gets around Robertson a great a great little like one two with the, well a great little move to get around him right it, it, i can't give emery a benefit of the doubt with not playing that front three there though if of all people to pull out to take out of it you're taking out um lacazette you know pepe is the new guy like why i, I can't give him a pass on you're gonna start him who literally his first start literally his first start for the team in in a massive yeah. game you know you you start him and you know you don't start the other you don't start uh Lacazette you know i the reasoning i suppose is is there's more pace with with uh Pepe right but i mean i i don't know i if you're already a team that's mu- that's less talented than Liverpool why are you not trying to play to your strengths in that game yeah Agreed. If you go out and lose, what what's the worst that could have happened in that game? In all honesty, playing those if you played those front three, you lose what four one, like four nil. Like I mean, what's, yeah. what's the real difference? You're already um, a less talented team. You already expect not to get something out of that game. You know why not play to your strengths in that? So yeah, no, I, I agree. I think we have the same idea that if Arsenal had done that, then they might have had more of a chance of at least putting a couple of more chances in the back of the net and by a couple i mean like two literally two um but uh, yeah the the skill disparity is still something to to note and maybe if you and i emery was working with a slightly better squad then who knows he has been club before like you said and he might have gotten something out of this game but hindsight is certainly 2020 yeah yeah of course um and then it doesn't help when you've got a Beautiful curly-haired man at the back, um, Davide. <laughs> you know, dude, I can't. I just can't. I, I, I can't. I'm, I'm stressed with work enough. Don't, don't do this to me now. You, you said your piece. You, you said your piece on him. I'm, I'm oh, gonna, oh, I I'm gonna, I'll come in here. You know, I said it before the season. We know his limitations in a back four. You know, this is. This is what you get with the – this is the Davalouise experience. This is it. This is it right here. <laughs> you get two to three mental lapses a game, right? And they're 
exponentially magnified when you're playing with a center back pairing, right? You know, oh my God. we saw two of them in this game, right? First one comes on the second, on the uh, second Liverpool goal, you know, stupidly pulls at Salah's Jersey. Fine. You know, yeah. we, we talked about that one. Second one is the third goal. We, we, the lapses, the, the lack of intelligence defending an open space that he has, it, he always loves to cut. He's very aggressive. He loves to come very close to any attacker, especially in open space. Now, sometimes that leads to him jumping at them with two feet, which, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then other times it's what happens on the third, on the third goal. Right? He comes short and he's already on a yellow card. So he knows he can't actually put a challenge in there or else he would have really taken out solid, you know? No, of course. Yeah. It's too much, too much. Yeah. But you know, this is where the intelligence is lacking on top of being on a yellow card. Mohamed Salah is what? 45 yards away from the goal on that. other Sure. And you're coming so close to him when, you know, you don't need to. Yeah, he's not. It's not like he's in the penalty box. You don't need to come close to him. So far away from goal, you know. You know any other dude? Maybe he just likes him. Leave him maybe, alone. Maybe who knows? You know, not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, he, he comes close, and it's really, really simple for Salah to get past him at that point. It's it was literally two touches, one, one to control it, and another just slightly to the left of Davalouis and now you can't touch him and he's running at your at your uh goalkeeper you know last season against Tottenham at uh at Wembley the third sun goal um against Chelsea he does basically the same thing um not quite that far away from goal it, it was probably like 20 yards away but still near the touch line he comes in super close when he doesn't need to and and there's no cover behind him, and Sun gets around him and scores in that game. So it it's something that you're going to see a lot from him in the open space. It's really really a big deficiency for him is defending in open space. And when you're coming up against a team like that who, who's um, reliant so much on pace and stuff, that's that's a big no no. Uh, especially if, especially if you're on a yellow card, there just play safe. Just play it safe. Just drop back and and let them come at you. You know, um, it's it's something that we're going to see all season because, like I said, he came in and he's automatically they're one of their two or three best defenders, right? You, yeah. you know, he's automatically yeah. the most um, decorated defender, decorated defender on their team in terms of trophies won, experience, everything. He's he's going to get the nod over just about anyone else because of his experience and and um and his ability to fit in with you know, how they play in general his passing ability so too but this is what comes with it this is what comes with the WWE's experience you know eight million pounds <laughs> Dude, it's, not, it's not like it's not like an airbnb experience <laughs> yeah but you, you haven't lived it my guy you haven't. <laughs> no and i don't want right. to yeah you know, this is what you know and this is why eight million pounds this is what you get for eight million pounds. Like, what were you expecting? <laughs> he wasn't going to come in. He's not going to come in and beat Tiago. <laughs> like, like, he's not Tiago Silva, right? You know, no. This no, is, this is what you get for eight million pounds, and waiting until the literal last day of the transfer window. 
So I have, yeah, I have no sympathy. Enough. I have no sympathy for them whatsoever. You know. Very fair. Very fair. Arsenal, it's all on you. We have no, you have no one else but yourselves to blame. Bring in Sarabia. Well, what's his name? Saliba. Yeah, yeah. Saliba. Saliba. Not Pablo Sarabia. PSG player. Yep, PSG midfielder from Sevilla. Different player, very different. But anyway, you get my point. But with that, we're going to take a quick break after just detoxing this whole David Luiz thing. I, I need like 20 minutes to myself. And then we'll be back with a little bit of a preview from one of our friends, Desmond. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Overlap. I have a quick update for you. As I said before, I thought our friend Desmond would be able to join us today, but it looks like he has some work that just caught up with him. So he unfortunately will not be giving us his side and his viewpoint on the Spurs point of view coming up this weekend, but instead we will be able to give our own thoughts on the upcoming game, the upcoming North London Derby. And finally, our prediction. So, Rian, what are you thinking for Tottenham and Arsenal going into this weekend? Who do you see starting? You know, who needs this win more, and who do you see winning? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, we don't we don't need uh, Desmond. We don't need anyone else. Dude. We're, <laughs> who's, the, who's, the, who's the real experts here? It's us, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you hear that, Des? We don't need you. <laughs> we don't need anyone else here. But um, <laughs> who do I see? Sorry, I, I honestly do not believe. Well, first let's let's look at this game from last season. Last season, um, the same game at the Emirates, Arsenal went down two one and staged a very good comeback against a good Tottenham team to win four two. Uh, you know, the difference this season will obviously be well possibly be you know will we see Los Celso start this game for Tottenham um I personally think it's still too early to have him start in such a massive game um but we did just see Pepe start against Liverpool so who knows maybe it's a decent possibility um in terms of their midfield we, we see uh Ali might be making a return but I think it's probably still too early for him to start for Tottenham there uh so we probably see um in the case of Ndombele being fit and ready to go we probably see you know Ndombele Sissoko and um and Winks start in that in that uh central that three in the midfield for Tottenham and I I, I have to assume that we see Erickson start I mean do you, do you think we well, see Erickson you know the, it'll be after the transfer window closes so assuming that he's still on the team do we see Erickson start this game I would say that it would be a mistake to not start him. I don't know if he actually does, but even more so, is Ndombele fit to play this game? I, I believe he is, but I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, he missed the last game, so um, it's it's. I think they're still waiting for uh, an update. You know, we'll, we'll get a good update. Um, I believe either tomorrow morning or, or Friday morning from Pochettino himself. So you know, assuming that he's that he's fit to go, I think he starts. If he's not, um, then perhaps we see Ali. Perhaps see Dele Ali start the game. 
Yeah, um, well, I guess or Lo Celso that, or Lo Celso. I would love to see Lo Celso start. Right. I just want to. I want to start with that. Um, the reason I asked about Ndombele is because I do think that affects Lo Celso directly. Where where it gets tricky is uh, I don't know where Erickson actually starts now. Right. Last season, there was a very definitive role for him. It was very obvious that he was going to be the attacking line midfielder behind Kane, and that was his role to roam around. Now, because you have Ndombele sort of making he, – he's more of a box-to-box type mi- midfielder, and he makes those runs forward – a part of me has seen a little bit of concern with those who on the field and occupying similar spaces. Granted, when they do play together, I still I I, I maintain that Erickson helps the team immensely, and I think that he should start. I'm just very curious to see that sort of midfield of say it's in Dombele, Erickson, and Winks versus let's say for hypothetical purposes it's Genduzi, Jaka, and Ceballos. That's an extremely clogged midfield. I think they all. I think we'll see a game that's played in a very small area around the center circle in terms of midfield uh, link up, and I think we'll see a lot of not necessarily losing a possession, but switching of possession, um, whether it's from you know chances or whatnot. But I do think there will be a lot of back and forth per se. Um, so I'm, I'm very interested to see if Erickson does start and I hope he does because if Spurs have a better chance at this game, it's going to be with him on the field. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you obviously have a little bit more experience with, uh, watching Los Celso play. So what do you think are the possibility possibilities of him and Erickson on the field together? Where do they fit in your opinion? Um, Erickson, obviously a bit more of a number 10, um, so do you think Lacelso can play a deeper lying um, central midfielder there? Yeah, I think he can. He's played it a little bit at Batiste. I don't know if I would want to see him there per se um, because he his skills are sort of split between attacking and tracking back as well. So if you put him in sort of a more not necessarily a holding role, but really a true like eight or sorry, a six, then you kind of get the best of both worlds with him. But I do think that Lo Celso and Erickson um, could be tricky. I, I would want to see it tested in this game. Quite honestly. Um, I'm, I would be, let's, you know what? I would be okay with Lo Celso starting over in Dombele. I think that, Kind of like I said when we reviewed his transfer, Lacelso does a great job of making up for what Erickson can't do. And at this, while that I, I do still think that's true, I hope that doesn't necessarily mean that he invades Erickson's space in that passage of play. So that's the only thing that would concern me. Um, not necessarily a spatial issue or positioning issue, um, but more of a well, how does this affect his play? How does that affect Erickson's positioning when Loselso's on the ball? And, and how does that chemistry work? It seems as though in Dumbele, Erickson is a more proven pairing. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, 
But that is what I would expect Pochettino to go with. But I, I do hope to, for uh, Pochettino to put Lo Celso on um, at least around the 60th minute or so if he doesn't start. Right. Yeah. I, obviously, that you know that depends on how the what the score is and stuff at that time. But I know I totally understand where you're coming from in that sense. I mean, I think I think we'd have to see Erickson in the lineup because you know first three games of the season we see what they look like without him, right? Um, yeah. Outside of the uh, City game where he started, you know, they severely, severely lack creativity um, without him in the lineup. And um, obviously they hope that Los Celso can provide that same sort of spark um, in terms of the creativity from from uh, central midfield. But I think, you know, especially in a game against Arsenal – um, we're, we're going to need to see him. I think we need to see him start, if, um, assuming he's on the team, right? right. Um, so I, I, I personally don't think Lacelso starts. I think they go with the same um, midfield three that they started with um, against, um, at least in the first match of the season, where, where you have Winks, uh, Sissoko, and, and Dombele. And then I think we see Erickson set up in that number 10 role just behind uh, Kane. And then we saw Sun come back and start uh, this past weekend against Newcastle. So I think we see Sun start again. Um, Mora came on and, you know, was wasted a couple chances. Um, but I, I think we see Sun start the game and uh, Mora showing that he can be more of a spark off the bench, uh, especially as we saw against Manchester City. Right. So I, I think that's probably his role for the team this season is coming off the bench, uh, in especially in big games or you know just generally when they need a goal. So I, I think I think that's what we see from from Tottenham's side. Do you, you believe on the other side? Do we finally see Lacazette, Pepe, and Aubameyang start together? Yes, I think this is it. I think this is the weekend that it happens, and I think it's the perfect weekend to do uh, I take that back. Last weekend would have been the perfect weekend to do it. But I think this is the second best perfect time to do it because when else are you going to start three of England's top, top attackers? And you can include Pepe in that if you want, regardless of what your opinion is. But you're facing a team that we'll see if Vertonghen is in it. Um, you're facing a team that is struggling a little bit at right back. You're facing a team that certainly gives up goals, not a lot. I'm not saying they're leaking goals, but they can give up goals. And you have a very, very lethal attacking front three. This is the perfect time to try and combine them and gel them between a midfield of what I believe should be Ceballos, Genduzi, and Jaka. And I would be very interest, interested to see how a double pivot works between Jaka and Genduzi, because I'm not sure which would work better, a double pivot between those two or Genduzi in a more advanced role, because I thought he did great when he was more of in a sitting slash holding role, but that may have been more tailored towards the tactics of the Liverpool game because of the fact that they were constantly under pressure. But I do think that he can serve in a defensive midfield role um, as well. So I do think that we see Ceballos, Genduzi, Jaka. That's my guess. Um, but I don't know. Do you have any differing thoughts on that? Well, obviously, I 
<laughs> my different thoughts would be the Jaka part of it. You know, yeah, still, still stunned that he <laughs> this guy keeps getting starts. It's amazing. Um, I think we see Torreira start. I would personally want to have Torreira start this game. Um, he didn't start over the past weekend because, you know, just fitness levels, not quite there yet. But another week of uh, getting a little more up to match speed, I think he should start in this game. I would be, I would be a little nervous of seeing um, Torreira, Jaka, and Ceballos. I I can't imagine that um, Gunduzi doesn't start. So I, I hope that he does start because I really think he's been um, he's been Arsenal's he's best. Been awesome. Yeah, he's been he's been their best player in terms of that specific position. You know, playing. Not as you know, Sabias is more of a number ten. So you know, just a central, the central midfield. I think he's been the best out of um, anyone that they've played there, um, at least in the first few games of the season. So I, I think, I think that's the three that they should go with. Um, I'd be afraid of of Xhaka starting because maybe there's still a fitness problem with Torreira. But if Torreira is fit and ready to play, you know, ninety minutes, there there should be no reason that we don't see. Uh, Terrera, Ganduzi, and Ceballos in that midfield three. But I'm really excited at the prospect of seeing Lacazette, Pepe, and Aubameyang all start together. I, that is something that I'm really, really looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I, I think that's the biggest storyline from this game, right? And to see if they can actually pull out a win in obviously one of Arsenal's most important games of the season. It always is the North London Derby. Um, but I'm very interested to see how that works out in such a big game too. Because I do think that a player like Pepe can step up to that occasion, as we saw last weekend. But this is the first time that he'll be able to do so from the start with Lacazette next to him. And I hope the best for them because I'm really, really excited for the prospect of them playing together. But now they just have to go out and prove it. Yeah. I mean, and especially because, you know, I think we agree that Tottenham's most vulnerable position is right back. And Walker Peters got injured at the end of that game uh, against Newcastle. And right. just, you know, they're really, really thin on on fullback in general. Um, I mean, maybe we see Serge Aurier start, which was just a adventure. He's just, coming back. That's just an adventure whenever he's out there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, that that's where I think they've got to exploit. Tottenham is, is out wide. And, you know, you have two great guys that can do that. You know, um, I mean, although I, I do think Aubameyang is much more um, effective – closer to the middle of the field but you know his pace is enough to um be comfortable playing him out on the left in this game and having him go up against walker peters and then you have pepe on the other side who's who's a very great a really good dribbler and and can provide something in terms of chance creation for guys like lacazette and and Aubameyang. so i think we've got to see those three you know we've got to see those three play together um you know they need they need to start gelling. They need to start getting a chance, and and this Arsenal team needs a rebound from last week. You know that's a really disappointing result. Um, granted, you know we do agree that Liverpool's just a better team, but you know that's a disappointing result. Which leads me to my biggest question for this game is: which of these two teams do we think is in more need? Which is more desperate for a positive result in this game? Hundred percent for me, it's Spurs. Mm-hmm. I think they need this result more than anything. 
They came off a bad weekend before. I have not generally been impressed with their passage of play so far. I think they still have a lot of room to grow, but they haven't shown up yet. Whereas, like I said in in the last pod, I think Arsenal didn't play that badly last weekend um, against Liverpool. And I think they've shown better signs of coming into their own as they progress through the season. And I think adding Pepe to a starting lineup is only going to help them. Spurs need to step it up to the level that they were they were at last season. And I think this is the perfect game to prove it. Why not go out and prove that in the North London Derby and get a result against your most bitter rivals? So I think Spurs need it without a doubt. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that. Because, you know, like you said, outside of the tactics, Arsenal could be encouraged by the effort that they put in against Liverpool, in the least, the effort, right? Exactly. Um, and on the Tottenham side, you know, I don't know if you've seen the stat, but the last their last 15 Premier League matches, they have 15 points dating back to last season. I mean, wow, yeah. I mean, that, granted, that's that's good enough to stay up, you know, at least, right? But, <laughs> sure, <laughs> that's not their standard, but sure. <laughs> but but you know, they were genuinely. I mean, and we disagree on this, but I believe genuinely they were bad against Manchester City. They were generally not good at all. I didn't think Terrible. they were not good against that team. They were wasteful this past weekend against Newcastle, and they were pretty underwhelming against Aston Villa, you know, for about 60 minutes until Erickson came on and, and the game changed there. So I they haven't put in 60 minutes of a good performance yeah in in this season so i think they i think they need this a lot especially with all the all the headlines around them all the you know the fodder i guess you want to call it but all the things that are going around around the club i think they need this more than arsenal does i i really think they need it more than arsenal does and just for out of a confidence standpoint and and just quieting the media down a little bit um if they were to come out and to lose this game, you know, it's, while playing it's, poorly too, while playing poorly is especially that that would be three straight weeks of playing very below average and and not and perhaps getting just one point, you know, um, yeah. and then you go into the international break, you know, you don't have a chance to right the wrong of that in a midweek game or the next week, you know, you have to sit on that for two weeks. So I, I agree. I think. Tottenham absolutely needs this more than uh, Arsenal does, which is why, for my prediction, I think I th- think Tottenham gets. Uh, oh, uh, oh! Screw it! I'm going to say I think Tottenham wins the game. I think Tottenham. You know this. This is a this is a real time where transfer window ends on Saturday, and now Tottenham's focused again for. You know what is every every year their biggest match on the schedule playing Arsenal. I think they get up for it, and I'm gonna take them to win this game. I'm gonna say two one. Mm, yeah, say two one. Okay. I, I, I generally I think they don't lose. I just because I think the response is more um, desperate from them. They more desperately need a result in this game. I I think they don't lose the game, but I, I but. Generally, I, I'm going to go with a win in the game. I could not have a more opposite prediction. <laughs> I'm actually going with 
not a total blowout in favor of Arsenal, but I'm going with a three nil victory for Arsenal. That's I think a blowout. <laughs> That's three. Yeah, goals. yeah. That is that is a blowout. But I I do want to preface this saying that I think Arsenal's mentality and confidence going into this game, regardless of the result of at Anfield, was very very encouraging, and I think that they're on a run where they can continue in in that mindset. I think their midfield had a good game going forward because when they did go forward, they created chances. They did create chances going forward against a very good defensive side and a good defender in Van Dyke. So I have no reason to doubt them going forward, especially if they add Lacazette to the starting lineup. And so with that, I don't necessarily have that much confidence in Spurs right now just based on form alone granted I will say that this is obviously a very risky prediction because derbies are totally different you can almost throw form out the window sometimes when it comes to to derbies and so I'm gonna go with a three nil Arsenal win I, I that that's just how I feel I could very well slash probably will be wrong but I do think that at the very least Arsenal get a win here Okay, so uh, an Arsenal win from you, a uh, Tottenham win on my end. Um, I, I'm just saying purely out of desperation. I think, you know, it, it's tough to say someone's going to be desperate, you know, in the fourth match of the game, um, of the season, I mean. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm going to say for for desperation reasons, I, I think Tottenham comes comes out and, and comes out very focused and uh, ready to play this match from the very beginning of the game. And, you know. So that's that's pretty much it's more of a gut you know more of a gut kind of feeling here because I agree with you the form does not favor Tottenham whatsoever um, but sure. I'm gonna say gut and just the general presence of Dava Louise being on the field against <laughs> against Tottenham team again so yeah well all right we'll see well fair enough fair enough we'll we're obviously both very excited about this game um, I know I certainly will be watching. Um, and I know I see you will be too. So with that, those are our predictions. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to disagree or agree with us in any of the comments below in SoundCloud, iTunes. I don't believe you can in Spotify. But on that note, don't forget to comment and subscribe to Apple Podcasts, to Spotify, and to our SoundCloud. Like we said... We will be reading out a couple of reviews in the most uh, in the upcoming podcast, so don't forget that as well. Rian, did I forget anything? Do you have anything to add? Nothing else. Um, you know, obviously, we always love feedback. So if you want to hit us up on either DMs and Twitter, Instagram, either one, you know, if you have any comments, we always love to hear feedback on the podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. With that, we will be back on Friday or Saturdays when the pod will be out regarding the Champions League draw, which is tomorrow at time of recording. And I'm very excited for that as well. So we'll be keeping an eye on that and get back to you on our thoughts on the pots and the draws. And you will hear from us very soon. With that, this is Elias signing off. Have a good one, guys. Thanks, guys.